Hey, good day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. Hope you're having a good Wednesday morning. Thanks for joining us and uh, spread the word, will you? It's it's a pretty good show and a lot of information. And if you enjoy it, maybe others will as well. So we thank you for that. Got a lot of football today. Huge, huge Bills win. Certainly going to cover a, that a ton. A lot of stuff going on in the NFL including a coach firing that I did not have on my radar. But then again, I didn't realize that the Washington football team emails were going to extend as far as Las Vegas. So we'll get into that as well. Baseball certainly going on, and it's been really entertaining. It's funny that with football going on and being so good, that as good as the postseason has been in baseball, many people haven't been paying attention It just isn't on their radar yet, but it should be because it's been really good. But let's start with the Bills and the Chiefs. The game buildup was was really one of those, this is a big prize fight because the champion, the Chiefs, are taking on the challenger. The Bills is the challenger ready to step up, and there was a lot of discussion about, is Josh ready to take that next step? You know, the the boxing analogy of you got to knock out the champion. Is Josh ready to go into Kansas City and outplay Mahomes? All sorts of stuff. And there's a lot, you know, when you're looking at this game from a Bills perspective, it's almost like you're you're playing your big brother, but now you're both grown up. You know, when when you're growing up, the older kids in the neighborhood, they always beat you. And then you got to a point where you were all the same, not age, but development, and, and then you kicked their butts. And and that's kind of what happened Sunday. The Chiefs' defense has been a problem all year long. And, and look, there's no time to panic in Kansas City. They played a brutal schedule. They've lost three games to the Bills, who are 4-1, and one, to the Chargers, who are 4-1, and one, and to the Ravens, who are 4-1. and one. So it's not like Mahomes and company are out there just laying eggs every week. No, it, the defense is going to be an issue. They were playing without their best player, Chris Jones. He wasn't there. In fairness, you can make the argument that the Bills were playing without their best defensive player, Matt Milano. I, I, I think Milano is their best defensive player. So when you look at what happened on Sunday... Was it a bit of a surprise? Maybe in the way that it came down. But not necessarily the fact that the Bills got that win. The Bills' win moves them to 4-1, and one, puts them in very good shape. Now, they play Monday night against Tennessee in Tennessee, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. The Bills are favored by six in that one. But after the bye, Miami at Jacksonville, at the Jets, and then Indy at home. There's a good chance that the Bills are at worst eight and two. And that's really good. I thought the Bills would start three and three. I didn't expect them to go into Kansas City, get a win. I didn't expect them to go to Tennessee to get a win. But I thought that they would win 12 games on the season. Well, now if you, you know, you take my projection and the miss of the Kansas City, they got a chance to win 13 or 14 games this season because the schedule is very favorable as it goes through. Let's talk about Sunday, Josh Allen. And it was a different Josh Allen game. Kansas City 
their defense allowed big plays, and Josh took those big plays, and he was on target deep down the field. Made some great throws. The laser to Emmanuel Sanders was just a thing of beauty. The scramble and finding Dawson Knox was a great play. Early on, you saw that they were going to use Josh's legs to to help win the game. And and he had 59 yards rushing. And frankly, if the game was closer, there were a couple plays, and we're seeing the hurdle right now that allowed them to get a first down. There were a couple plays that Josh probably could have had 10 to 12 yards more, but he was conservative, slid down, didn't take hits. Smart, mature quarterback play from Josh. He threw for 315 yards, three touchdowns, didn't turn it over. There was one bad play where he's retreating, 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 gets a grounding call because he tries to throw it too late. That's still in Josh where he's going to hold it too long sometimes and try to make a play as opposed to throw it out of bounds, live to make another play. That's kind of one of those final hurdles that I think Josh has to get over to become the player that he ultimately will be. Look, this kid, what he has done in four years, where he's gone from and to in that time in the NFL – When he was selected seven by the Bills, people didn't say, well, he's a big kid, big arm, ton of potential. No, they said, this kid can't play the position. Where where do you see the potential? And and what always got me about that was, where do you see the potential? And I looked at it the other way. Where do you not see the potential? I've said it many times on many platforms. I watched his pro day, and, and pro days are Look, they're like shooting layups in a gym by yourself. You should make every one. There's no defense. It's it's just what it is. But the athleticism, the, the arm, the size, all of the things that you, you take that big piece of clay and you're molding it into a quarterback, all of those things were there. What we didn't know about was the intangibles. And the intangibles are that this kid has – one over a locker room the way few quarterbacks have right now. I mean, he just is is revered in that locker room. We didn't know about the work ethic. He would spend the off-seasons working with Carson Palmer's brother and just improving year after year after year. The footwork, the release, all the little things that have improved the accuracy. And the accuracy was the question coming in. And I've always felt that looking at a completion percentage and judging accuracy on a completion percentage is lazy scouting. Because when you look at a stat, like his completion percentage on Sunday night was around 60%, slightly over. Do you care? When you're throwing the ball down the field the way he did, you're not going to have as high a completion percentage. But when you hit on big plays, 50-yard passes a couple times a game, it changes things. So I've always felt that that was lazy. Now, did he have accuracy issues? Yes, he did because he had footwork issues, and he still at times it rears its ugly head. There were a couple times Sunday where there were just a few plays where I thought his feet got a little lazy, and there were bad releases. But overall, he played a great game in a big game on the road in, a, in an environment with a hostile crowd, weather conditions, 
a rain delay at halftime. Everything that if if you're a Bills fan, you're looking at you know all the things that are going to make it tougher to overcome. Josh Allen overcame that on Sunday night, and it was big. He didn't get a ton of help in the running game department. I thought that was where the Bills needed to do better early on, but late they really did run the ball well. Moss only had 37 yards, Singletary 25. But late in the game, after Casey cut it to 31-20, to and this was a bit controversial, because everyone's looking at the roughing the passer call on Josh Allen. Frank Clark got Allen, wrapped him, and drove his body into the ground. You cannot do that. That's similarly to Ed Oliver's roughing the passer call on Mahomes earlier in the game where he went low, got him below the knee, can't do it. They're going to flag it every time. And as much as people hated the call on Frank Clark and a lot of national outlets, Nick Wright, who don't want to give Josh Allen and the Bills any credit, they're looking at that play as, this is a terrible call. Well, the play previous to that, the Bills had run a really nice play and gotten a first down deep in their own territory, and it was called back because of a hold on Mitch Morse. And Morse, if you looked at that play Somebody explain to me where the hold is because I've watched it about 15 times. And I still cannot figure it out. But nobody wants to talk about that. They're talking about the Frank Clark play, the play after it. So it, it's just one of those things. Which side of the coin are you on? You know, again, Bills Mafia thought the Morse call was atrocious. National media who don't want to give Josh Allen any credit. They are focusing on the Frank Clark. The the officials, I thought, were bad all night. I I thought there was terrible calls each way. It seemed that the Bills got the worst of it. The Bills penalized 10 times for 103 yards. Kansas City only 7 for 55. There was an offense or a defensive pass interference call that Travis Kelsey got. and, And to me, it looked like he dragged the Bills player down with him. And it just, again, the officials are going to be part of every game. This game, they seem to be a bigger part of, but the Bills overcame it. And, you know, while Bills Mafia may be upset with the officials, they may be upset with Chris Collinsworth, maybe not giving the Bills credit and more so finding ways that Kansas City didn't play well. The bottom line is this. The Bills went into Kansas City on Sunday night in a game with weather and kicked the crap out of the Kansas City Chiefs. They beat them up and down the field. The defensive plan by Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott was excellent. I love the the note that Leslie Frazier had written patience on his play sheet because the Bills didn't blitz once. They rushed four, they rotated their D-linemen, they kept them fresh, and they continued to to lay back, playing man underneath. And Taron Johnson on Tyreek Hill underneath was fantastic. The big play by Hyde was more of a result of a bad play by Tyreek Hill. But, you know, the pick six is the pick six. Gregory Russo, everyone's looking at the interception that he had. The play previous to that interception was going to be a screen pass, and Russo sniffed it out. He, he immediately recognized the screen, dropped back, and prevented that from happening. And Mahomes had to throw the ball away. 
that almost was as impressive to me as the interception because as a rookie defensive end and, and, and a guy with great length and skill, Russo's going to make plays like he made with the interception. He's going to get his hands on plays. He's a former wide receiver. He's very athletic. That was an athletic play. But what I found really interesting was the play before was a smart football player play. He recognized something. He dropped back, prevented the play from happening through his intelligence. So Gregory Russo looks like he's going to be a part of this Bills defensive line for a long time and a very talented part of that D-line. So the defense played great. I mentioned my Micah Hyde, Johnson. The the fact that they were patient enough to do that, and even at times when the game got tight, I thought the defense won the day. As good as Josh was, as, as many big plays as the offense made, you're going into Kansas City, you need to do something to limit the Chiefs. And, and the Chiefs only scored 20 points. I felt the offense needed to score mid-30s to win this game, but I would think it's going to be a 35-31 game. The offense did their job. The defense did a better job. And because of that now, the Bills are one of a few teams that you look at with a path to potentially a home playoff game. And I've said this many times, and you all know this. It's going to be a tough environment in late January in Buffalo if a visiting team has to come in there and play in the playoffs. So continuing to stack wins continuing to work now towards home field advantage. And again, that's where we are with this Bills team. It's it's not just about beating the Chiefs and, and going to Tennessee. It's about getting wins and potentially hosting. You know, if, if the playoffs go through Buffalo, you get that first round by and, and everything else goes through your stadium, it's going to be a huge advantage for Buffalo coming in there and, and it'll be a great environment and obviously we here in western new york would love to see that a couple other notes before i get off of the kansas city game and on to tennessee dawson knox has become a factor and he's through his first couple of years dawson knox had the drops he made some good plays and won Bills Mafia over by his effort, his willingness to run people over. He and Allen, obviously, very good friends and, and have a good thing together. But the three catches for 117 yards highlighted by that 53-yard touchdown, I, I think it showed that Knox now is capable of doing things as well. And speaking the same way, Emmanuel Sanders, when he came here, It was another great route runner, a veteran receiver. It was going to take a little time for him to integrate into the offense. And catching the two touchdowns on Sunday, I thought it was huge for Emmanuel Sanders. He's becoming a bigger and bigger part of the offense. Stephon Diggs had his usual couple catches, but one of which, I don't know if he didn't know where he was, or didn't know how close the receiver was. The long pass where I thought he thought he was just going to back into the end zone got a little casual there. The Bills ended up scoring the touchdown anyway. But, you know, it's one of those things I, I think if he had it to do again, he's going to turn and, and make sure he gets in the end zone. I think he thought he was already there, frankly. But digs a couple good catches. Now, the one guy who didn't have a big game on Sunday 
was Cole Beasley. And I actually heard this on a national show yesterday, and I was like, give me a break. Cole Beasley, the last couple games, hasn't had the same number of targets. Of course, a couple games ago, he had 13 targets, and I think he caught 11 passes. So to say Cole Beasley's being frozen out of the offense, well, you can't really say that if you look at what's gone on. Beasley hasn't gotten the targets, and coincidentally, and I do believe this is coincidentally, comes after him making the statements about him being booed at home because of his vaccine stance. And I I don't think there's anything to that. I think it's more of an adjustment in the game plan. People know, defenses know, that Allen is going to look to Beasley underneath often. They're going to try to take that away because that's a much easier completion than throwing the ball further down the field to either Sanders or Diggs. You're taking something away, so you're giving something up. It's the the nature of the business. And Josh Allen has made the adjustment. This isn't, to me, anything to do with Cole Beasley and his vaccine stance. This is everything to do with a quarterback who's maturing and taking what the defense is giving him. Now, if Tennessee on Monday night decides to work on taking away Sanders and Diggs, because they're all going to try to take Diggs away, then Beasley's going to get the looks. It's that simple. The beauty of what the Bills have right now is balance where you you can't take everything away. There are too many options. It's not about a political stance or a rift in the locker room. It's simply about what the defense is giving you versus what you're comfortable taking. So that's the KC game. Big win. Gets them over the hump, so to speak. It's always when you're the up-and-coming team, you've got to beat the champion and you've got to knock them out. These two teams could meet again in the playoffs, but I think now the Bills are comfortable with their design of their defense, with their ability of their offense to play and go toe-to-toe against the Chiefs and, and win a game regardless of where it's played. Huge victory. What's interesting to me is this game, and defensively, where you will kind of give up the run. Clyde Edwards-Alaire was a non-factor even before he got hurt. But you kind of give up the run, and you let Starletule and Oliver do their thing, and they did against Kansas City, and just worry about defending the pass, and especially the underneath stuff where you're dropping your linebackers into coverage there. What's interesting is going to Tennessee is a different animal. You played nickel almost exclusively against the Chiefs. Against the Titans, I don't believe you can afford to do that because Derrick Henry has just been a beast. And Sunday, Henry again had a big day against the Jaguars. And what's what's wild when you look at what Derrick Henry has been doing this year is the number of carries. Henry had 29 carries against the Jags, 130 yards, three touchdowns. They get the win comfortably. What is crazy, though, for a guy who the last two years, he's had 303 and then 378 carries last year. This year already, through five games, Derrick Henry has 142 carries for 640 yards, seven touchdowns. Think about that. 142 carries through five games is 28 carries per game. 
He's on a pace. Remember now, there is a 17th game. He's on a case on a pace for almost 500 carries in a season. I, I don't no way that can happen. No way that's going to he is big, strong, great shape, all of the things you want to talk about. Derrick Henry's an absolute physical specimen, but yet nobody can possibly take that pounding and continue to be productive. Now, to this point, he hasn't slowed down an iota. He is on point. That offensive line is better run blocking than they are pass blocking. All of the things that you want to be in a run game, the the Titans have got with Derrick Henry. It's just, when does it happen? When does the injury start? When does the nagging ankle injury that slows him down or... If it's not an injury, when do they back off of him to allow for something to be left in the tank down the stretch? It's it's really one of those things that something's got to give because there is no way this guy can tote the rock close to 500 times in a season. Now, frankly, as an old school football guy that I am, I love watching Derrick Henry play. I love watching teams run the football and, and basically have the mindset of, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to run it, run it, run it. Nothing you can do can stop me because I'm bigger, stronger, and better than you. And I love that mentality, and that's the mentality that the Titans bring in to every game. The question is on Monday night, how do the Bills stack up with that? Now, Latulale is going to be huge because if, if Star can take up blockers and keep Tremaine Edmonds' feet clear – You've got a big physical specimen in Henry and a big physical specimen in Tremaine Edmonds. There's going to be some interesting collisions there. Matt Milano will likely be back for this game, which as good as Milano is, he's much better in the past. I think Milano's absence is going to be more felt against Kansas City in the past game than it is against Tennessee in the run game. The Bills don't have the linebackers that are big run stoppers. They don't have a big physical presence on that D-line as deep as it is to stuff up the run. So I'm I'm somewhat worried that Derrick Henry's going to get his yards. I'm just also, from a Derrick Henry standpoint, wondering, can you afford to give this guy 30 carries? And if Tennessee does, if Henry gets 30-ish carries in that game, I think they win this game. Ryan Tannehill hasn't been great this year. A.J. Brown has not been great. Julio Jones, her missed last week, likely to play Monday night. But to me, it's all about the Bills' philosophy. Are they going to stack the box? Are they going to go with eight in the box? And if you do, you risk two very good receivers, who I just mentioned, Julio Jones and A.J. Brown, beating you over the top. So it's going to be an interesting chess match on Monday night in a game that potentially, again, these in-conference games could come back to be tie-breaking games when it comes to home field advantage or making the playoffs in Tennessee's case. So this is an important game for both sides, and I'll be very intrigued to see how it plays out Monday night. Again, Derrick Henry is fun to watch if you love old school football. Eventually, he's right now he's defying all the logic that 
you know, if you get 400 touches, the wheels fall off. That's the logic. This year, they've upped his workload, not lowered it. When does that catch up to him? So something to keep an eye on, certainly, as we go towards Monday night. Last week, games to talk about. Rams beat Seattle on Thursday night. The big news out of that one, of course, is Russell Wilson hits his hand on Aaron Donald's helmet. Likely going to miss weeks, six, eight, potentially the season. Had surgery on the finger. Without Seattle, without Russell Wilson, Seattle's in big trouble because their defense is not good. They paid Jamal Adams a boatload of money, gave up a couple draft picks. Think about this, too. The Jets, who they're building a better roster, and I'm going to get to the Jets in a second, but they're building a better roster. They have Seattle's first and I think second round pick as well in this upcoming draft, but definitely the first. And with that first round pick, if Seattle in the toughest division in football without Russell Wilson and having Geno Smith as their quarterback goes on a run of losing games, that could be huge for the Jets. The Jets could end up potentially with two top 10 picks in a situation where they just drafted a quarterback, so they're not looking to trade up to get a quarterback. They may be looking to trade back to add more. This could be a huge draft year for the New York Jets. And the Jets on Sunday, they went across the pond, played one of those London games against the Falcons. Uh, The only good thing about teams playing in London is the fact that football dorks like myself get to wake up, watch football from 9, 9.30 in the morning, Sunday, till about 12.30 at night, Sunday night. It was glorious. It really was. And again, if you're shaking your head right now, well, that's just a difference of opinion. It was absolutely glorious. A couple things about the Jets Falcons game. Kyle Pitts from Atlanta, the fourth overall pick in this past year, tight end. Kid is a freak. Holy crap. It was a coming out party for Kyle Pitts. Matt Ryan still can throw it. Look, Matt Ryan is never going to outrun anybody in the NFL. And when the pocket breaks down, he's done. He's limited because of that. But he can throw it. And, and they played without their two best receivers on Sunday. But Kyle Pitts emerged, had nine catches, 119 yards. The other side of the coin in that game was Zach Wilson. It was the first time I really watched a complete game of Zach Wilson. And I saw some good things. He can make some good throws. But he also, at this point, is very inaccurate and and missing throws badly. And I, I think he's got potential. I think there's something there with the kid. But the Jets are going to have to continue to develop around him. Look, they're playing without Mekhi Becton, who's their best offensive lineman. The guard that they took from USC, Vera Tucker, played really well on Sunday. So there are pieces in place for the Jets. And again, this year, if they have those draft picks, can use them. Their defensive line is pretty good. I think the Jets are going to be a good team in a year or two. It's going to take some time, but there there's something going on there if they continue to develop and Joe Douglas continues to draft as well as he did last year. Philly beat Carolina last week, and the thing that I came away with out of that one, same old Sam Darnold. Three interceptions in the game. Look, Sam is playing better in Carolina because there are better people around him. I just don't think he's ever going to be the franchise quarterback that he was drafted to be. The mistakes that he made at USC are still being made four years later in the NFL. Something 
with him, something the way he plays, it's just not there. The guy can make every throw, every play a quarterback needs to make, but unfortunately, there is something in between his ears that causes him to make a bad play and keep both teams in it. Green Bay beat Cincinnati in overtime. And all I could think of is, my God, make a freaking kick. Kickers suck. Kickers who celebrate after they miss game-winning kicks suck worse. Yeah, I'm talking about you, McPherson. No, if you made the kick, dumbass. Unbelievable how bad that was. But Cincinnati fans, Joe Burrow's really freaking good. This kid's a stud. And Jamar Chase, there were a lot of people draft night going, why do you take a wide receiver? Because Jamar Chase is a beast. And the two of them together going forward, again, Cincinnati's got to get better defensively and on the offensive line. They've got work to do. But you're you're all of a sudden looking at a division where Pittsburgh, Roethlisberger's getting a little bit older, Cleveland's elevating, the Ravens are elevating, Cincinnati is elevating too. That's going to be a great division for the next couple of years. Houston and the Patriots. I, I don't even know what to say about David Culley and, and the fact his coaching decisions on Sunday. You're winning the game 22 to 9, and you're in control of everything. And you do that. I don't even know what you call it. Fake punt, and then you only drop the guy back 10 yards to quick kick it. Just punt the damn ball. You're winning the game. Houston, they got a really good performance by the quarterback, Mills. He did everything you'd ask for a kid to do, and they had New England beat. Somehow, they lost the game. It was unbelievable, and you know the Texans organization, they can't even figure out what to do with Sean Watson, let alone what's going on on the field. That, that organization's a mess. Vikings beat the Lions. 54-yard field goal ends up winning it for the Vikes. Another one of those Kirk Cousins moments at the end of the game where it looked like he was going to fight Mike Zimmer, but he was just excited about it. Kirk Cousins is a freaky guy. They played without Dalvin Cook yet again. They've got another game this week that Cook is likely questionable, and after that, the bye. So I wouldn't be surprised if Cook misses this game as well to get that ankle fully healed for when they come back after the bye. Alexander Madison's doing a nice job. They're winning games without Cook. Why rush him back? It's a long, it's a longer season this year. Good win there. Dan Campbell, the emotion after the game. A lot of people don't like Dan Campbell because he says stupid things. You know who likes Dan Campbell? The Lions players. And the Lions players are playing hard for that guy. And if they get more talent, I think Dan Campbell could be an effective coach in the league. The Steelers turned back the clock, and most notably Big Ben turned back the clock. Had a nice day, a couple touchdowns, over 250 yards. But Najee Harris, and Steeler fans, you're going to love this kid. I'm telling you, I love the draft pick when they picked him. He has done nothing but play hard. Sunday at his first 100-yard game, had over 20 carries in the game. And to me, that's the Steelers' recipe this year. Run Najee Harris, continue to let that offensive line develop. He's going to be a beast in Pittsburgh if they put the right pieces around him. Really, really like Harris a lot as a running back. Tampa blew out Miami, just crushed him. But the question I have is, how is Brady doing this? Dude turned 44, 44 years old. 
We talk about quarterbacks hitting the wall at like 31, 32. Brady's 44 years old. He had five touchdowns, over 400 yards. He's playing some of the best football of his life. And this is a guy who's by far the greatest quarterback who's ever played the position. I really don't know how he's doing it. I don't know how long it's going to last. I've been saying now for about 10 years, uh, eventually he's going to fall off the cliff. It's going to happen. I, I'm giving up with that. The only way he's going to fall off the cliff is if he steps off it and, and decides to walk away. I don't think it, his game's ever going to fall off. I, again, every year it's like, well, this is the year. It, no, he won a Super Bowl last year in Tampa. He's playing as good as he's ever played. And it's really nuts. And the only difference you see in Brady is the bad dye job on his hair. It's literally the only difference in his person or his game. It's crazy. Just crazy how good that dude is. New Orleans beat Washington. Jameis Winston, four touchdowns, had the big Hail Mary at the end of the end of the half. Washington's defense, I just don't understand it. There is so much invested on that D-line. There's talent. They just can't get it together. It's very bizarre what's going on in Washington. And again, I don't know the answer to what's wrong with them, but something does not add up. The Chargers-Browns game, probably the best game we'll see all year. And it wasn't one of those games that I expected to be great. But, oh, my God, was it great. Cleveland played very well. Nick Chubb, who I just love this kid. He is a beast, 161 yards. Kareem Hunt had 61 and a pair of touchdowns. Baker was really good. By the way, Browns fans, if you could get a fifth-round pick right now for Odell Beckham Jr., take it. He is doing nothing to help your team. He is sulking on the sidelines. It's not his fault. He's just not the player he was. He needs a fresh start. You need a fresh start. Get out from under the contract. Move that guy. Get something for him. Let him go somewhere and be productive. And I think there's still a very good chance that Odell Beckham turns his career around. It's just not going to happen in Cleveland. Cleveland's really good. Their defense didn't have a good day Sunday. But you could say possibly it's because Justin Herbert is a stud. I've watched him a few weeks in a row now, and this kid just continues to play outstanding football. Almost 400 yards passing, four touchdown passes, one running, reading the offense or reading the defense and, and throwing it to the right spots. He's athletic, he's smart, he's got a cannon. Man, what a great quarterback he looks like he's going to be. And you know, if you're Miami, you chose Tua over him. And again, Tua may turn out great too. He may, but Herbert already is. And and that's got to be a kick in the pants that you passed on this guy and took him. I'm not going to say Cincinnati whiff because Burrow's really good. I, I think right now if there was a redraft, I'd rather have Herbert than Burrow. But that's not a big crime to not have taken that guy. He's just an absolute beast, and it is fun to watch him play every week. And, oh, Austin Eckler, who's kind of an afterthought in the conversation whenever the Chargers come up, is just, he's been fantastic this year. And he's a perfect complement to what they're doing in in L.A. And, and Staley, the new head coach there, his trust 
going for things on fourth down, trusting his team. Really like what that guy's doing. And he's a defensive guy. Generally, defensive guys, much more conservative when it comes to those decisions. He is not. It's fun to watch what's going on with the Chargers. Arizona beat San Francisco. And that was one of those games that it was defensive oriented. Whenever you you have a young quarterback like Trey Lance, you know he's going to struggle, but credit to the San Francisco defense for limiting Kyler Murray. But I think what I took away from this game is, as much as we talk about Kyler Murray and, and the Cardinals and their offense and how good they are, I mean, they're all, the only undefeated team left. I think what we're missing with Arizona is just how good that defense is. Chandler Jones is playing great. J.J. Watts making big plays. He had a couple on Sunday. This is a very, very good defensive team going along with a great young quarterback and a mastermind in Cliff Kingsbury. So the Cardinals are for real. And in a, again, say it again, toughest division in football right now is the NFC West. I think Arizona is going to come out of there. I, they were the team coming in I didn't think could. They are going to be a team that comes out of there. They're that good. The Giants lost to the Cowboys on Sunday. Cowboys ran the ball very well. Dak had another nice day. But the story coming out of this one were the injuries for the Giants. Saquon Barkley steps on somebody's foot and his ankle blows up. It was just a bizarre freak injury. But now he's going to miss time. Daniel Jones got knocked the hell out trying to go for the goal line. That was tough. And, you know, one thing that I thought, and, and the kid cursed the Cowboys defensive back, him going to Daniel Jones when Daniel Jones staggered and, you know, Curse realized Daniel Jones was in trouble. It showed there's humanity out on the football field. And I thought that was something that the networks missed a little bit, but it was, it was poignant because that's a human being. Yeah. You might have just knocked him silly, but that's still a human being. And, and seeing Curse go, go run to him when, when Jones staggered, I, I thought was a nice moment of sportsmanship. The other injury that came out of that is Kenny Galladay. They paid this guy a ton of money to come in, hasn't done much of anything, and now hurt again. That, that's not looking like a great signing. But the Giants did have a ray of sunshine in this game. Well, until he threw a punch. Kadarius Tony was great in this game. He had 10 catches, 189 yards receiving. It was like the first time all year they decided to get the ball to him and after DJ got hurt, Mike Lennon comes in, and Glennon fed him too. And, and Kadarius Tony was great. Now he's been immature all year. He's been a problem at camp. There was a lot of things that went on where he said things, and you know, I, I know it's been a rough beginning, but let's be honest. He, he, the picture of him throwing a punch, and if a guy's four inches in front of you, how do you miss punching him? How do you throw a punch and miss somebody when he's literally four inches? And it was a sucker punch. It wasn't like the guy was expecting it. It was a sucker punch. It was crazy. But Kadarius Tony, somebody that they can build around going forward, I'm confident. When Daniel Jones gets back, he's somebody that teams are going to have to look to defend because he is really, really good. Some of those routes he ran against the Cowboys was fantastic to watch. The Ravens on Monday night beat Indianapolis, and the Colts had this game won. A couple takeaways. First off, the 
forward lateral? Are you kidding me? That was not a forward lateral. The Music City Miracle was a far more egregious forward lateral than this was on that 90, I think it would have been like a 93-yard return. Unbelievable that the NFL screwed that up. That was horrendous. But as good as Indy played, and they did play well, their defense ended up getting gassed, and then Lamar Jackson took over. And, you know, the only thing that people, I shouldn't say that, two things people would say about Lamar. He's not a traditional quarterback. I don't like him. Translation, you don't want the best athlete in football playing quarterback. That's what you don't want. The other translation was that I want to see him bring his team back through the air. Well, we saw that Monday night. Lamar was ridiculous. He was great on Monday night. And the reason that the Ravens came back and beat the Colts. Lamar Jackson is kind of getting underplayed, which is crazy because he's only been in the league four years. He's been an MVP. But now it's like, well, I don't know. You hear about Mahomes slipping a little bit, which is just a bunch of crap because Lamar, because Patrick Mahomes is still the best quarterback in football. You hear a ton about Josh Allen ascending, Herbert ascending, but Lamar Jackson's ascending as well. He's changing his game and he's gotten better and better. He is the best athlete in the NFL. I'm convinced of that. And now he's becoming a really good pocket passer. He was great on Monday night. Just great. Yeah, the fumbles, you can't have it. Mistakes, it's going to happen. But give me Lamar Jackson all day, every day. The last game I got to talk about, and it's not even really the game. The Bears beat the Raiders 20-9. to Both teams now 3-2. and Remember when the Raiders were undefeated and things looked different? Well, after the game and Monday, emails were leaked out that John Gruden had sent to... Bruce Allen of the then of the Washington football team. He was an executive with the team. They were some of 6,500 emails that were being looked at by NFL investigators as an investigation into Daniel Snyder and the situation in Washington where there may have been things that went on in the workplace that can't go on in the workplace. But somehow, some way, and for some reason, John Gruden's emails were leaked, and they were, across the board, hateful. They were racist, misogynistic, they were anti-gay, they were everything that a piece of crap person would write. And John Gruden, say what you want about him, you're a piece of crap. If you're, you're sending those words an email. If those are your thoughts, you're a piece of crap. And John Gruden is a piece of crap. Never work in football or network again. Never. He got canceled. Done. He can walk away and have a whole bunch of money. He got fired. He resigned, but he got fired for things he had written 10 years ago, not when he was a coach, when he was a broadcast person for ESPN. ESPN covering this story is conveniently leaving out the fact that when these emails were sent, Gruden was their employee. That's not been talked about much. He has been canceled for some reason. Somebody wanted to get John Gruden. Pure and simple. Because 
there are 6,500 emails out there. These emails were handpicked and leaked. You're telling me there's nothing else out of those 6,500 emails implicating anyone other than John Gruden of any wrongdoing whatsoever? I find that incredibly difficult to believe. And why were these emails leaked? Why were these the only ones? Well, he did say something about Roger Goodell that wasn't very kind. And who does Roger Goodell work for? And you might think, well, Roger Goodell's the commissioner in the NFL. He doesn't work for anybody. He's his own boss. Wrong. He works for the owners. This investigation was an investigation into Daniel Snyder. Daniel Snyder is essentially Roger Goodell's boss. So by leaking these emails, it's a classic NFL move of ignore this, look over here. But smart people are pointing out that this is a smear campaign, if you will, and and it worked against John Gruden. And again, I don't know what the league had against Gruden other than he said bad things about Goodell. And he's a piece of crap. So Gruden made it easy, deserved to get fired for what he said. However, there's much more to this story that has nothing to do with John Gruden. And and I'll be intrigued to see if and when it ever comes out. So keep your eye on that. Uh, Rich Basaccia is the new head coach of the Raiders. He was the special teams coordinator and assistant head coach. So it, it's a mess in Vegas right now. I don't know where they go from here. Does, does they go through? Do they go through a complete and utter coaching search where they bring in a big name? Because now it's in Vegas. Mark Davis has money. The stadium, the team is is in place. I think there's a lot of pieces there. We'll see where it goes, but it's gotten really, really ugly for the Raiders going forward. And, and one final point on this. John Gruden got canceled. Rightly so. Deserved it. Every bit of it. Why is Deshaun Watson still eligible to play in the league? 24 women have accused him of sexual assault. 24 women. 24 have accused him of sexual assault. He is not suspended. He's simply inactive every week by Houston. How is that similar? How is that the same thing? One guy gets fired, rightly so. One guy, nothing has happened to him other than he collects his check for not doing his job. You know what I call that? I call that a vacation. One guy gets fired, one guy's on vacation and and likely to be traded before the trade deadline. Just remember that. One final NFL thing. As I watched the games this weekend, it struck me how much better the AFC is and is going to be over the next few years than the NFC. The quarterback position is the most important position in all sports. We know that. We all understand that. It is what it is. Everyone looks to get their quarterback and get it right. And when you get your quarterback right, you build around him and your organization then becomes good. Think about this. In the NFC, there's basically three teams that have good young quarterbacks and are set at quarterback. I think Daniel Jones might be there for the Giants, but I'm not ready to put him in there because I don't think the Giants are ready to say he's their guy. But if you look at Russell Wilson, who's still relatively young, but he's been around for a minute. Dak Prescott, similarly, now gotten paid finally. And Kyler Murray 
who's very young. Beyond that, you start looking around at the NFC and you've got guys like Taylor Heineke playing. <laughs> you've got Jalen Hurts. Do you think he's going to be the guy? I don't think anyone believes that Philly is set there. Sam Darnold, we mentioned in Carolina, Jameis Winston in North. It, it's it's not a settled situation by and large as you look across the NFC. Then you go to the AFC, and teams with young quarterbacks who already set Kansas City with Mahomes clearly, Bills with Josh clearly, Herbert and and, and the Chargers, Lamar and the Ravens, Baker Mayfield. The Browns are set at quarterback. He may not be those other guys that I just mentioned, but they're set there because they're building around him. Joey Burrow in Cincinnati, they've got their guy. So you look at those six guys and you think, wow, those are really good young names. In some cases, Hall of Fame trajectory. Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson right now are on Hall of Fame trajectories. Justin Herbert, it's too early to say that, but yes, he is as well. Even Josh Allen to an extent, if they get to a championship. There's also Trevor Lawrence in in Jacksonville. And while it may not be going great, there's still the expectation there. You've got the other three rookies from this year in Mac Jones, Tua, and Zach Wilson in New York. The AFC is so well positioned at the quarterback spot. The NFC has some really good older players, obviously Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. But the youth and and the AFC and, and the ability that... The AFC is going to be such a difficult conference. And, you know, think about this. Tom Brady making the decision to leave New England and go to the NFC and go to Tampa. It's bad enough the guy's the best quarterback in the league at 44 years old. That also was a brilliant business decision that he made going to the NFC because the AFC, man, It is no joke. And those seven teams that make the playoffs this year, there's going to be about three more left out that would probably compete for an NFC championship if they were in the other conference. And it's going to be that way going forward for at least the next couple years. College football, how about it? Alabama lost. Texas A&M, great ending to that game, a great football game. Just the fact that Bama lost, it's like, well, what? It's crazy to think how big of a deal that is because they simply do not lose what they did on Saturday. They are not the best team in the country, though, Alabama. Georgia is. Georgia just continues to roll. If you've seen this team play, their defense is ridiculous. They got more than enough offense. Really, really good football team, Georgia. Iowa's win over Penn State was fun to watch. I thought Penn State was going to go in there and get it done. They did not. Iowa now a team to watch coming out of the Big Ten. And Penn State still has a chance at the playoff as well. Notre Dame, I said last week they're going to make the college football playoff, and then they almost lost at Vatech. Tough place to play, granted. But I still think ND runs the table and gets themselves in. The Red River shootout was great on Saturday. Texas and Oklahoma. Oklahoma ends up winning 55-48. to Really fun game to watch, but the takeaway there was coming in this season, Oklahoma quarterback Spencer Rattler was a kid that many people thought was going to be the first overall draft pick. He's the next Oklahoma quarterback. He's going to be the guy. He got benched on Saturday, and freshman Caleb Williams came in 
and did a better job. And I don't know what's going to happen going forward, but it wouldn't surprise me if Caleb Williams is the guy going forward. This Friday night, big game at Syracuse. Clemson, SU, SU had a chance to win again. Didn't get it done against Wake Forest. Dino Babers, some questionable decisions in that game. You know, they get, they get a late touchdown chance to go for two and you don't get the play in on time. They lose in overtime because of that. Can't happen. Simply cannot happen. So do they get a chance to beat a down Clemson team and maybe continue to build? It's not been a bad season for Syracuse. They've been competitive. But you got to get wins. And, and, and this this Friday, they have a chance to beat Clemson. Major League Baseball playoffs have been great. The White Sox, they they weren't able to get it done. And, and I not taking anything away from Houston. I think that's just a bad matchup for the White Sox. Houston is really good. Yeah, we could hate them. We could say they cheated. They're really good. It's really well-run organization because they continue to draft and develop and, and create opportunities for young players to come in and help them. They, they've got the established veterans, clearly. I don't know what they're going to do with Carlos Correa after this year, but Houston's in great position. And that Houston-Boston series, because the Red Sox took care of the Rays as well, that's going to be epic. If that's not a seven-gamer, I'll be shocked. And I think it's going to have great emotion as things go along. That is going to be a great series. Devers, Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, Bregman, Correa, Altuve, the names, we we know them all. It's just going to be fun to watch. In the NL, I, I thought Milwaukee was going to come out of the NL, but the damn Braves are good. They really are. They get the job done every year. And yesterday in the clincher, one of my favorite players to watch is Freddie Freeman. As much as I'm a Met fan and he's on the team I hate, how do you not love this guy? The way he plays the game, he continues to produce. He has fun playing the game. He's just a great ambassador for the sport. They got to resign him, right? They have to. He's got to finish his career there like Chipper Jones did. For him to take Josh Hader, the best closer in baseball, in my opinion, for him to take him deep for the game winner, man, that was awesome. It was storybook. It really was great by Freddie Freeman yesterday. So the Braves now wait for the Giants-Dodgers. The Dodgers win last night to force game five. That'll be tomorrow, Thursday, in San Francisco. That should be fantastic. And, you know, you look at the Dodgers with all the young talent, the trade to bring in Scherzer and Turner, their willingness to spend money on guys like Mookie Betts. The Giants, it's like the same team that's done it over and over again. You see Buster Posey there. He's still there. Buster Posey's played. Didn't he play in San Francisco with Willie Mays? Like, seriously, that guy has been there for a thousand years. Brandon Crawford's had greasy long hair for like 38 years. I think he had it in the 70s. It's amazing what the Giants are doing. They play such good defense. They pitch. It's going to be a really good night tomorrow night, and, and, and whoever loses that game, think about this. You're going to have a team that won over 105 games losing and being out of the playoffs. All of that work during the regular season, and you're done. Finally, lastly today, hockey started last night, and 
you know, the NHL is back on ESPN, so you're going to hear a lot more about it. It's getting a lot more coverage nationally because of ESPN. When ESPN lost it, they, it was an afterthought. You'd see Barry Melrose and Bucci talk hockey. Beyond that, nobody talked hockey. But now you're seeing a ton of it. And last night, Vegas opened their season. Seattle Kraken played their first ever game in Vegas. If you saw any clips of the opening uh, ceremony, I don't know if you call it ceremony, pregame, presentation, whatever the hell you want to call it, it was unbelievable. What Vegas does to start a game is better than any other team going to their game. It's just crazy what they do. Vegas does it Vegas style, and and it's great. And all I could think of when I was watching that is how crappy the Sabres opening night is going to be. The Sabres open Thursday night at home against Canadians. I'm very, very curious to see what the crowd is like. If they get more than 12,000, I'll be very surprised. And that's unbelievable for me to say. This is a team that had 16,000 people on their season ticket list 11 years ago. Now, I'm saying their opening night against one of the greatest traditional teams in the sport, the Canadians, is going to only get 12,000 people. And and maybe I'm way off. Maybe it'll sell out and I'll be dead wrong and I certainly will come back here next week and let you know that I was dead wrong. I know that the border being closed is a factor because people from Canada aren't able to come across and see their team. But I think it's twofold. One, If you're going to spend money on a ticket, wouldn't you rather spend money on a Bills ticket? Wouldn't you much rather see a competitive team play? And why are you going to spend $85 to $200 on a Sabre ticket to see who? Rasmus Dahlin? Who who are you going to? Dylan Cousins? Is that who you're spending? No, no disrespect to, to Cousins or Dahlin. They're going to be really good players, but... This is a team sport, and I'm naming guys that I'm hopeful are going to become good players because they're young prospects at this point. I think they're going to be really good, but they've got nothing around them. This team is going to be awful this year. They're on the clock already for the draft. Oh, yeah, by the way, one final Sabre note. Did you see the picture at the Red Sox game when they showed the box with all the Bruins players. And did you see who else was in there with all the Bruins players? Jack Eichel hanging out with the Bruins players. Why why not be in Boston celebrating with the Bruins players? You're not going to be in Buffalo playing. They have mishandled that so badly. Hey, but congrats on opening night. I hope Terry and Kim have a good night and you know could sit there and watch your team be competitive for the first minute. Because after that, it's going to be all downhill. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great week. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast.